Good morning. If you're looking at your bulletin wondering, that's not what's in the bulletin. You're right. Um, Jenny puts our bulletins together and she's looking like, wait a second. That's not what's in here. Um, Friday afternoon, I just switched gears on, we're going through the book of James. We're in James 5 right now. And uh, just felt, I would say, compelled to go a different direction this morning. There, there are times when, we, we all live in a broken world. We know that we do. It's a fallen world we live in. Um, and we all feel it to varying degrees at different times, whether it's personal suffering and difficulties or um, relational struggles that we have or physical things that we struggle with or just more you know, bigger things, societal things that we feel to varying degrees. And um, I think it's important at times just to take a step back and say, okay, what's going on around us is not, let's not bury our heads in the sand and pretend it's not happening. Um, let's, let's, visit, let's talk about it a bit and, and talk about it from the perspective of God's word and the work of Christ and what God has to say about things and what God's solution is for things. Um, so here we go, all right? I feel a little nervous doing this, but I'm, I'm not nervous to stand in front of you. But uh, this is going to be a little different talk today. Um, this last week, two young black men were shot and killed by police officers. One guy's name was Alton Sterling in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Another man's name was Philando Castile, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, in the Minneapolis-St. Paul area. Then late Thursday night, uh, no doubt we heard that as protesters gathered in Dallas, five police officers were assassinated. Um, yeah, I, read the, I read the names of the two men that were killed. I wonder, had you heard those names before? The five police officers who were killed were, their names of, of these men were Brent Thompson, Patrick Zamaripa, Michael Kroll, Michael Smith, Lauren Ahrens, and then the, the shooter who was also killed is Micah Johnson. The sobering reality, I mean, all this stuff's being politicized in huge ways, right? And depending on where, what you listen to, you're getting a perspective that may or may not be that good. But the sobering reality is that each of these men, <clears throat> and they were all men, died and met God. <clears throat> Each one of them. I mean, they, whether, I don't know if they knew Jesus. I don't know. I don't know the spiritual state of any one of them. But if they didn't know Christ, they have now entered into eternity apart from Jesus and apart from God. I'm not going to cast judgment on any of these cases. It's not my place. This isn't the place to do it. Um, at least not Now when everything's so fluid. But it, these situations seem to highlight yet again racial divides and racial tension in our country. And regardless of where you think the problem resides or what the root problems are or what, um, why these things are happening, it's happening. You agree? It's happening. Now, we live in Iowa. We don't live in... A, there's no you know, Chicago... 
a large city like Chicago or L.A., and we don't live on the coast. So we don't feel it quite as much as some other places. But uh, we're beginning to feel it more and more. And if you, um, unless you are just completely um, hiding yourself from the reality in the world, it is beginning to be uh, felt around us. And in a world of disunity and separation between races and ethnic groups, the church of Jesus Christ should stand radically as a countercultural community where that stuff isn't happening, where there is, there's not the, those kinds of divides. And I'm not saying, you know, historically black churches, shouldn't, there shouldn't be those. And historic, you know, I'm not saying that. But there should be a kind of unity and a kind of diversity and a kind of harmony that can only come through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it can come through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it can only come through the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, when these things are happening around us, when you watch the news or you visit with people about what's going on, there are lots of different emotions that we feel. Some feel angry and perhaps rightfully angry. Some are confused. It is disorienting. Some can be scared. Like, what, what's going to happen? What does this mean? Is this stuff coming here? And some can be apathetic. And if I were to be honest with you, aside from sudden rushes of adrenaline when, when I'm caught up in emotion or something, I oftentimes fall back into apathy. I just do. I just want to close my door, turn on the TV, listen to some music, and pretend it's not happening. From today, I have three things I want you to take away. I want you to get today. First, I want you to care about what's going on. I don't want you to be apathetic. I don't want to be apathetic. We need help. We need to help each other to not be apathetic when we see social unrest going on around us. In our country, okay, it's maybe not in Ankeny right now, but there are lots of people who really do feel emotionally connected, even in our community, and so we need to care about it. Each one of us should, and we should help each other care about it and not be apathetic. Second, I want us to see, each one of us, the, the implications from the gospel for racial harmony and racial diversity in the church and through the church spreading into society. And number three, I want each one of us to be actively working for racial harmony and diversity. Politics and politicians can't save us. Amen? We sometimes think they can. We wouldn't say that, but we oftentimes think if only this person got elected or this person didn't get elected or these people were in office, things would be different. Politicians and politics cannot save us. Legislation, though it is important because we live in a a land of laws, legislation won't ultimately help us because it can't change the heart. Excuse me, it won't ultimately change things. Political correctness 
my goodness, offers no hope. Merely talking about things isn't going to help because none of these things get to the root issue, the fundamental issue, which is sin, which is the corruption of the human heart because of sin. None of these things, politicians, politics, political correctness, legislation, talking with one another, each one of them has their place. They cannot, though, change the human heart with all of its native evil. The gospel of Jesus Christ is our only hope. Okay, The gospel of Jesus Christ is our only hope. Christians don't believe that, but we as Christians should believe that. Before I get there, though, before before we jump into Revelation 5 and I show you the hope of the gospel here for what I'm talking about, I want to acknowledge a few things. I want to acknowledge, you may not agree with these. I think, I think they're agreeable points for each one of us. <clears throat> First, there is racism. There is racism. Racism is an evil sin. And there is racism, okay? Just because people aren't, slavery's not legal, and we had the 1960s civil rights movement, does not mean that racism is gone. Part of the native evil of our hearts is that we have a tendency, each one of us, for varying reasons, to think of ourselves as superior than others. Because of what we have, because of our race or ethnic group, or because of social standing, or whatever. Racism exists. Second thing, I want to acknowledge, is the problem of continuing racial tensions in our country. Though they are, more com- they are very complex, the root cause of these things, however, is the evil of the sinful human heart. That needs to be acknowledged. Additionally, I said this just a few minutes ago, because we are all born in sin, because we are all born in sin, we are born in Adam, And Adam's sin, because we're born in him, we are born in sin. We all have the temptation to view ourselves as superior to others for different reasons. Here's something else I think needs to be acknowledged. This may be controversial. It can be taken too far. But I think it needs to be acknowledged that to be White in America affords us privileges, the privileges of safety and security that people of other races don't enjoy. I've had several conversations in the last few days and I've heard people throw out white privilege. It's like, hmm. I'm not sure the way they're using that. I'm not sure it's the most responsible way, but I think we can agree on some things. That there is a privilege of safety and security that white folks, white people in America enjoy, that blacks and Hispanics and others, Arabs, don't enjoy. I was, listening, I was watching an interview on TV, and um, it was... I believe it was in Baton Rouge. And the interviewer was asking, it was a 
young black man he was talking to. And, and I, a lot of what this guy said, I, I wouldn't repeat it here. I didn't agree with it. But one thing he said caught my attention. He said, ever since, and he pointed to the reporter, you brought us here. We've been second-class citizens. Now, I need to hear that. I think we need to hear that. Finally, we need to acknowledge this, and this makes all the difference. The gospel of Jesus Christ changes everything. I'm not saying it changes systemic issues overnight. I'm not saying that. But the gospel of Jesus Christ is the answer. So I want to look at Revelation 5. And talk about this. The gospel changes everything. How? First, the gospel is the good news of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who came to identify with the oppressed and those who received injustice and became one of them. He came to identify with them and he came to be one of them. Notice in our text, who is this praise being offered up to? This one who is worthy. would say Jesus, right? But in the previous verse, verse 8, it says that he is the lamb. Jesus has talked, Jesus is called the lamb of God. Jesus, when he came the first time, came as a lamb. <clears throat> came, to be, came to be born among us, came to live among us, came to be abused, came to be mistreated, came to be cast out, came to be rejected. That's our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, when we talk about Jesus identifying with victims of injustice and the oppressed, we could go lots of places. We could talk about Jesus going to the lepers, going to those who were outcasts. We could talk about Jesus hanging out with the Samaritan woman and giving her the good news of the gospel. We could talk about Jesus hanging out with sinners and tax collectors. But we can look, I think we should especially look, to the death of Jesus Christ and the events surrounding his death. If ever there was a truly innocent person, a victim of massive injustice, it was Jesus Christ. You hear that? If ever there was truly a victim, someone who really was innocent, someone who had never done anything wrong, it was Jesus. It was Jesus Christ. Consider, Jesus Christ was the only truly sinless person who ever lived. The most innocent and blameless man of all time. 1 Peter 2.22 says, He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. And yet he was put to death, Acts chapter 2 says, he was put to death by the hands of evil men. Never committed a sin, never committed a crime, And yet he was put to death at the hands of evil men. In what is perhaps the most um, well-known Old Testament prophecy concerning Christ, in Isaiah chapter 53, listen to what verses 7 through 9 say. It's talking about Jesus. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. 
yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for this generation, who consider that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked. They made his grave with the wicked. The events of the death of Jesus from the bribe of Judas. The bribe of, the bribe of Judas. The Jewish people came and bribed him to give up Jesus, to the false witnesses that were brought in, to speak lies concerning Jesus, to the release of Barabbas, who was an insurrectionist and a murderer. And the people called out, release him and take Jesus and have him killed. To being crucified between two criminals. Jesus, this innocent man, the son of God, was the greatest victim of injustice. And yet, all of it was part of God's plan. All of it was part of God's plan. I love, I love the verse in Isaiah 53 for a different reason than I'm bringing it up today, where it says, Jesus was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. I, I love that verse because when I have grief and I am full of sorrow, I'm like, Man, I can go to him. He's not like distant from my pain and my sorrow and my grief. If ever there was a man who stood in solidarity with the oppressed or with the victims of injustice, it was and is Jesus. The gospel changes everything. This is the gospel message. God became man to identify with and become one of the oppressed and one of the victims. Number two, the gospel is the truth that Jesus died on behalf of sinners. In order to give forgiveness of sin and provide peace with God. Why is the lamb worthy? In verse nine, why is he worthy? Because John goes on, John hears, right, this, this, this song in heaven. John hears them say, you are worthy because you were slain. Because you were slain and with your, your blood you ransomed people for God. Jesus, the Lamb of God, is worthy because with his blood, he pour, the blood that he poured out, he was slain and his blood was poured out and he ransomed people for God. I love how Paul puts it so simply in 1 Timothy 1. He says this. Now listen, when Paul says, when he begins a sentence like this, we want to listen. This is a trustworthy statement, worthy of full acceptance. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. That's why he came. He came to save sinful people, racist sinners, white racist sinners, black racist sinners, racist sinners, Sinners in general. That's who he came for. But God cannot merely sweep sin under the rug and just let bygones be bygones, right? It's not like there's this massive rug and God just sweeps sin under it and it's gone. Poof. Magic. No, he can't do that. 
Sin, because it is against an infinitely holy God, must be punished. We know that. Every one of us has this sense of justice when we see something happen that's wrong. We say that's not right. Something needs to happen. Which is why the proverb says, the judge who lets the the wicked go free is an abomination. There's something wrong with that. God cannot let sin go unpunished. He must punish it. And it, it was punished in Christ on the cross for all who trust in him. That's what's happening on the cross. He was slain. And with his blood, he was ransoming people for God. The accomplishment of Jesus Christ slain. I, the, the word slain just jumps out at me. He wasn't just killed. He was slain. He was slaughtered. He was slaughtered. His blood was poured out. The accomplishment of Jesus, the Lamb of God, slain on the cross is... I'm going to point out two things today. Wrath removed and righteousness given. And these are massively important for you and I to see the purpose of God in giving us peace with him and working peace among us. Wrath removed and righteousness given. On the cross, because sin must be punished, God's judgment is being poured out on Jesus. The judgment that I deserve the punishment I deserve, the wrath I deserve and that you deserve is poured out on Christ. When Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane on the night before his crucifixion, and and according to Luke's account, he is in such agony that he's sweating drops of blood. And he, and he says this to the Father. He says, Father, if there's any way this cup can pass from me, let it pass. Nevertheless, not my will be done, but your will be done. The cup Jesus is talking about is the cup of the fury of God's wrath against sin. And Jesus, the night before his crucifixion, he's coming face to face with what is coming, with what he's about to experience. That is the heinousness of sin is that it required the blood of Jesus, the Son of God. That's how horrible sin is. That's how horrible racism is. Is that it required blood, the blood of the eternal Son of God. Not just human blood, not not just any ordinary man, but the God-man, Jesus Christ. So, because Christ absorbed punishment and wrath, All who trust in him have the wrath of God that was hovering over them like a storm cloud removed from them. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that glorious? I find that the best news in the world. (laughs) I find that that is the best news in all the world. Because when I come face to face with my sin... And God's holiness. If God is not holy, then who cares, right? Doesn't matter what we do. 
when I come face to face with my sin in the light of a holy God, I realize I deserve his judgment. And then when I see that Jesus came and bore it for me, all of a sudden, what a glory. What a glory. Wrath removed, righteousness given. Righteousness given. He who knew no sin, Jesus, became sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. These two things go together, right? He became sin. He became the sin offering, bearing God's judgment and wrath in our place. And the exchange is, he takes my, my sin and my judgment, and I take his righteousness and the blessing that belongs to him. And because, of the, because wrath is removed, righteousness is given, we have peace with God. Romans 5.1, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Having been made righteous by faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, if we, if we want any hope of having peace with others, we need to have this massive realization not just, oh, yeah, yeah, I know that verse, right? Romans wrote, I know, Romans 5.1, yeah. No, this, this overwhelming realization that God has granted us peace with him. There is no peace horizontally, not lasting peace, not peace that matters, without this vertical peace. Without peace coming down from heaven, transforming us, changing us. Wow, I have peace with the living God. I'm not his enemy anymore. (laughs) And then we see people differently too. This peace with God is the only sure and real foundation for peace with others. God, by granting us peace with him, right? He, at, at one time he had this, this animosity toward our sin. Christ took that. He placed righteousness on us. Now we have peace with this God. And this gives us a foundation for real peace with others. The gospel's our only hope. Number three, the gospel changes our sinful hearts and empowers us to love sacrificially. And where I'm going to love sacrificially, I'm not mainly thinking about, um, of course it would apply this way, I'm not mainly thinking about love your wife sacrificially men like, you know, rub her feet. That's good. I mean, amen. Or love your, I'm thinking this morning to love sacrificially meaning get outside our bubbles and love and put ourselves around people we maybe wouldn't normally. Love people sacrificially. Notice it says that the Lamb of God was slain to, to ransom or purchase people for God. For God. We belong to God now. 
We are his people. We are not just saved, but kind of our own still, ourselves, right? We just belong to ourselves and our little tribe of people. No, we belong to God now. Martin Luther King Jr., um, he spent some time in Birmingham jail and wrote, famously wrote some letters that are now called the Bur- uh, Letters from Birmingham Jail. And listen to what he said in one of his letters. He said, there was a time when the church was very powerful. In the time when the early Christians rejoiced at being worthy to suffer for what they believed. In those days, the church was not merely a thermometer that recorded ideas and principles of popular opinion. It was a thermostat that transformed the mores of society. If the church does not recapture the sacrificial spirit of the early church, it will lose its authenticity. It will forfeit the loyalty of millions and be dismissed as an irrelevant social club with no meaning in the 20th century. I think we could say in the 21st century. We're not just a social club. Gathering with people that pretty much think like we do and look like we do and just like the same things and all that's great. But there's something more. The gospel empowers us because it changes our hearts to love sacrificially. If our sins were forgiven and God's judgment was removed and we were left to reform ourselves, like, okay, all that happened, but now you need to reform yourself. Now you need to change yourself. We wouldn't be able to. We wouldn't be able to. But that's not the case. The gospel reforms our hearts by giving us new hearts and empowers us to have a reforming effect on the world through the power of sacrificial love. Here's how this works. Um... Ephesians 2 says, you and I, at one time, were all dead in our sins and trespasses. We just were like a corpse, dead in our sins. And God, by a sovereign act of grace and mercy, made us alive together with Christ. And Paul says, by grace you were saved. That's what what it means to be saved. That's one, one picture of what it means to be saved. We were dead, he made us alive. Here's what happened when he made us alive. He took out this stony heart, this dead heart that was like a lump of stone. Right? Lifeless. Nothing going on there spiritually. Nothing inclined toward God. Nothing inclined toward holiness or sacrificial love or anything. He ripped it out of our chest and he put in a tender, pliable, inclined heart of flesh. He put in a brand new heart. He put his spirit inside of us, the indwelling spirit to change us and mold us into the likeness of Christ. He put his law in our hearts. See, we don't need 10 commandments written up on the wall like you better do these things. We need it written on our hearts and that's what's happened. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Whoever is in Christ 
He is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. If you are in Christ, if you belong to him, if you are believing in Jesus today, and what I mentioned just a little bit ago, that, that wrath has been removed, righteousness has been given, all of this through Christ, then you have been made a new creation. You've been given a new heart, and that heart is meant to beat with Christ's heart and empower you. It will empower you to love sacrificially. The gospel is our only, only hope. It's the only thing that reforms our hearts. No other message, no other method does. Number four, the gospel teaches us that Jesus is not some kind of tribal deity. You understand what I mean by that? It's not like when I was in Tanzania, some of the people we rubbed shoulders with, I got the impression they thought that Jesus was white man God. And, uh, and we were just trying to bring them in to believe in this white guy in the sky. That's not who Jesus is. The pictures you see on the wall of a European-looking Jesus, that, it's not him. <laughs> okay? He didn't, probably didn't have brown flowing hair and blue eyes. And uh, that's it's not him. In fact, the Bible, the only thing it tells us about the appearance of Jesus is that he wasn't very impressive. It's not like you looked at Jesus and said, man, that is one impressive guy. He said he was not very impressive. He was a Jewish man, so he lived in first century Palestine, so he looked different than the pictures we often see. All of that doesn't matter. What does the Bible say? What does it tell us about Jesus? And the scope of his saving work. Well, verse 9 in our text tells us. Revelation 5, 9. Jesus is the lamb who was slain and poured out his blood to ransom people for God. Listen. From every tribe and language and people and nation. Jesus is the Savior of all peoples, of all nations, of the entire world. Jesus, right, he came to save Jew and Gentile. In fact, the Bible kind of places people in the New Testament in those two categories, Jew and Gentile. You're a Jewish person or you're one of everybody else. And Jesus came as a Jewish man to save Jewish people and Gentile people, which probably most everyone here is a Gentile. Jesus came as a savior of every tribe and language and people and nation. And here we see the great aim of God, his God's passionate quest for ethnic and racial diversity in the church and one day in heaven, well, right now in heaven, One day we'll experience it in heaven. And it was purchased at the infinite cost of the blood of Jesus Christ. This was purchased at the infinite cost of the blood of Christ. The children's song is absolutely true, wonderfully true, that Jesus loves the little children of the world. Red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in his sight. 
There's no coincidence in this. It's not like, it's not like Jesus just happened or like at the end, it will see that Jesus just happened to die for, or the gospel just happened to reach every tribe and language and people and nation. No, this is God's determined, deliberate, intentional purpose from the beginning. Is that his church would be filled and heaven would be filled with every tribe, every language, every people every nation. And we know that God will accomplish this. He's not leaving it to happenstance. He's not leaving it up to you and me. He's not even leaving it up to the best known evangelists in the world right now or the 10 best. He will accomplish it. He is determined to do so. Matthew 24, 14 says, this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Now, when when the New Testament uses the word nations, don't think of like nation states with geographical boundaries, but think of every single tribe of people on the face of the earth. Uh, Some missiologists suggest there are 10,000 peoples or nations on the earth right now. I don't know how many countries there are, 240 or something. So this gospel of the kingdom will be, will be proclaimed in all the whole world as a testimony to all nations, to all people groups, to every single group of people. There will be a gospel witness among them. The gospel will reach them. They will hear it and they will believe. And all that will happen before the end comes. Number five. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the only hope, excuse me, the only message that gives us the hope of eternity where there will be perfect racial harmony forever. Politicians like to give you kind of these utopian ideas of how things can be better here. And of course, we can work for things to be better here. We should. But only in heaven, only in eternity, in the new heavens and new earth, will there be perfect racial harmony and it will never end. It will never, ever end. Revelation 5, again, verse 10 says, These people, every tribe, language, nation, and people, they shall reign on the earth. This is talking about the new heavens and new earth. When Jesus returns, right, he's going to recreate the earth. It's going to be a new heavens and new earth. And those people that are ransomed by the blood of Jesus from every group of people on the face of the earth, we all will reign on the earth together with him. Every injustice at the return of Christ will be made right. There will be be zero racists and no racism, no attitudes of ethnic superiority or any kind of superiority, 
no divide, no separation, it will be so glorious. It will be so amazing. I mean, all the things that divide us, everything that divides us will be gone forever. Do you guys, isn't that amazing? I mean, the things, there are, we're talking about racial issues here today, but there's other things that divide us. They're all going to be gone forever. Revelation 21. I, I love this picture. Just in my Bible reading, I was re- reading through Revelation maybe a month ago or so. And it, this verse hit me like a ton of bricks. I'd read it several times, but I'd never seen this before. In, in Revelation 21, where it's talking about the, the new Jerusalem coming out of heaven, right? It's the, 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 the new Jerusalem coming down. This, the, the, the bride of Christ coming down on the earth. And um, the church, God's people, right? This glorious city where God dwells. And it says in verse 22, And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there shall never be night there. Listen to verse 26. They will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations. I mean, the glory and the honor of the nations, of all the peoples on the face of the earth, right? Dutch people like me and Western African people and Scottish people in South America. I'm not going to try to name these tribes, but it's all going to be there. And if it weren't that way, heaven or eternal life, the new earth, wouldn't be as glorious. All the nations of the earth, the glory and honor of the nations are going to be brought into this new city. You know, it's not like we're going to get to eternity and we're going to be like, man, now all the things that divide us in my church are going to be fixed. And that church over there, the things that divide them amongst themselves is going to be fixed. And that group of people, the things that divide them is going to be fixed. No, we're just, we're just going to be all, it's going to be like the ultimate melting pot. And it's going to work because Jesus is going to be there ruling and reigning and we're going to be perfect. And all the sin, all the baggage we have had and maybe still have will be gone forever. The glory of the nations, the honor of the nations will be brought into this eternal city that we will dwell in. So, I want to give you just a couple, just a couple, real quick, practical things to think about today as we wrap up. First, I would urge you not to shield yourself and using wisdom, your kids, from some of the things that are going on, from things that are going on in our culture right now. Wonderful opportunity to grab appropriately grab an appropriately aged child and and just talk to them about important things that they're going to face someday. 
But I would especially urge you not to be like, I can't handle this, I can't handle this, and just shut it out. When we come to Christ, when we come to Jesus, one thing that becomes abundantly clear for Christians is that there is a call to not move away from need and away from trouble, but empowered by the Spirit to move toward it in different ways that God would help us and allow us to. It's going to look different here than in the Deep South or in the city of Chicago or the city of New York. I I get that. But in the ways that God would enable us and help us and, and appropriate here. Don't shield yourself. Don't bury your head in the sand. Don't lose yourself in entertainment when things are burning down around you. Don't do it. Don't do it. Number two, uh, this is just maybe a little more practical because I, I, I touched on this just a moment ago. Move toward need. Try to get into the skin of others, those who are different than you. I, I think this is an application we can draw out of Philippians 2 when it talks about Jesus. Paul says, have this attitude among you, which is yours in Christ, who um, though was in the form of God, didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he made himself of no account. He took on human flesh. He came among us. He became one of us. And we ought to, to the best of our ability with God's help, try to place ourselves in the skin of other people. Um, in, in conversation with someone recently. Th- this is what I'm talking about. And, and, and you can look for this, but we just need to be wise and look for opportunities. But I was visiting with someone who was just telling me, hey, listen, you probably don't ever know what it's like to feel, I'm going to use different words, trepidation and anxiety when you're getting pulled over by a police officer. We might have different views on some things regarding that. Okay, that's fine. But that, that helped allow me to get into the skin of this brother in Christ. Say, okay, I want to hear that. I want to take that into account. I want to um, affirm this feeling that my brother has. So we need to get into the skin of those around us. Move toward need and get into the skin of others, those who are different than you. Third, seek out friendship. Very deliberately seek out friendship with those who are different, different than you. We just tend to be around people that are like us. Intentionally seek out friendships with those that are different than you. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's someone you work with. Maybe it's someone you haven't talked to for a while. Number four, Give out the hope of the gospel. Speak the gospel into these divisive and tense times. Speak the gospel. Speak the gospel. Don't buy into the spirit of the age that we, um, we need to get talks of religion and spirituality out so we can deal with the real problems of the world. Baloney! Baloney! 
That's why we're in the mess we're in. We need to give the gospel to people. We need to tell them about Jesus. We need to tell them about Jesus and how he identifies with the victims, how he came to die in our place for our sins, bearing God's wrath and granting us righteousness. We need to talk about the gospel that changes our wicked, broken, sinful hearts and makes us lovers of other people. We need to talk about the gospel that is for all people of all tribes and languages and nations. We need to give out the hope of the gospel, which, which is truly hopeful forever and ever. So, let's pray this morning um, that we would be moved enough to care deeply about what's going on around us, not shield ourselves from the problems of racism and racial, ten- racial tensions in the world, that we would be the kind of church that expresses we live in a a fairly non-diverse community. I get it, okay? But let's be the kind of church as much as we can be that, that gives expression to the kind of racial diversity and harmony that will be expressed forever in heaven. And let's work now to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the power of God to save. Let's pray.